the evening. And it was good conversation this evening. We are in Mark chapter 6. Pastor Jonathan taught last Wednesday. Uh, we finished. He was talking about the prophets. Jesus said there's no prophet has no honor in his own country. And as you think about that, I guess because the neighbors have grown up with you, they know you the most, so they usually respect you the least. But they fall short when it comes to Jesus Christ. Never sin in worth, thought, or deed. They had all their preconceived ideas from his mom, Mary. All the scandalous situations they thought that had happened with uh, her bringing forth Jesus. And that took an effect on how much they listened to him, how much they valued him, no matter what he did. And so it's always important that, especially believers in Christ, we, we have to give our brothers and sisters a clean slate. We have to see them, as the Apostle Paul said, through the eyes of grace. Jonathan, a quick uh, going back to what he taught last week, he said now, verse 5, he said, now he could do no mighty work there, Jesus except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. That's a sad commentary right there. Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about in a circuit around the, really around the Sea of Galilee. That's where he was going. And he sent his disciples out two by two. Verse 12 and 13 says, So they went out and preached that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So we're going to pick up chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 16. It says this, but when Herod heard, he said, this is John, whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself has sent and laid hold of John, speaking of John the Baptist, and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, the brother his brother's Philip wife, for he had married her because John had said to Herod. And John the Baptist gives this confrontation. Nobody had spoken a word against Herod and him being married, Antipas really, being married to, to his, uh, really his stepsister, his going on his niece, all of that. We'll look into that. But, I wonder why nobody said anything to Herod Antipas. You know, the Bible speaks of the faithful wounds of a friend will deter you from the way you are going. Nobody likes confrontation. But confrontation is good when you go with the right heart and you really want to help somebody out instead of just closing your eyes really to things that are going on in the world. I mean, we might ask ourselves, why would this affect John the Baptist so much? He's not kin to Herod. Really, it's his enemy. But because of the love of Jesus Christ, and it's not his will for anyone to perish, John confronts him. And he says, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore, Herodias held it against him. She's upset now because she's, 
been confronted about her sin. It reminds me of David, the man after God's own heart, when Nathan came and told him, you're the man, David. David could have took that one or two ways. He could have ran away from it, but he repented and got back with the Lord. And this is Herod Antipas we're speaking of, one of the sons of Herod the Great. Herod the Great had many sons, and, and the word was out that it, would, it was better to be a pig than a son of Herod the Great because he would just get rid of his sons, kill them if he thought they were trying to take over. Antipas is there in Galilee, and he goes to Rome. Herod had many wives, had many sons, and when he gets to Rome, Herod Antipas, he seduces, really, his, 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 he's his step-uncle or, or his uh, niece, step-niece. This was what Herod Antipas does. And she gives in and, and he marries her. So he takes her from his own brother in Rome. So he brings her back to Galilee, Herod Antipas does. And John the Baptist, he speaks out against this. He says, you have no right having Herodias as your wife. That's wrong. Verse 20, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. That shows the protection of God. Even though this man was not even a believer in Jesus Christ, God had his protection for John there for speaking the truth. It says, and when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Proverbs 26 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So Herodias, she had great malice for John the Baptist. She had quarreled with him. She couldn't put him to death even though she wanted to. But when she finally gets her chance to put him in prison, she does. Herod respected uh, uh, John the Baptist till he touched his beloved sin. The Bible speaks of in the last days, people will heap up to themselves, people with itching ears. I'm so thankful that I am a pastor of a church that we can go through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. When it's sin we're on, we speak on it. We don't cut corners. The word of God is here for a purpose. And it's always, the word of God will always confront us of our sins because the Lord wants us to change. If we're his sons and daughters, that's the goal. We want to be more like Jesus each and every day. Ezekiel thirty-three thirty-two says this. Ezekiel tells the people who are listening to him, indeed you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument, for they hear your words, but they do not do them. That's what's happening with Herodias here. Verse 21, then an opportune day came when Herod on his birthday gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers, and the chief men of Galilee. Luke says something a little different. He says in Luke chapter 4, now, when the devil had ended every temptation, speaking the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, he departed from him until an opportune time. The enemy 
always waits. And he usually waits when the believer are down or things aren't going well in their lives. When we're at a weak place or a weak spot in our lives. And that's when Satan sends one of his minions or anyone to tempt us or to to try us. So when we're feeling weak, spiritually weak especially, we need to have our spiritual antenna out because that's when he's lurking for an opportune time to try us. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced, this was dancing sensually, and pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, in a fit of passion, I'm sure, ask me whatever you want, and I will give it to you. He also swore to her, whatever you ask me, I will give it, give it you up to half my kingdom. It reminds me of Ecclesiastes, when Ecclesiastes says, do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God, for God is in heaven and you on earth. Therefore, Let your words be few. James says the same thing when he says, for all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man. So that should tell all of us when we're speaking a lot, we're probably stumbling a lot. Able also to bridle the whole body. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire a world of iniquity. That's just the tongue. If we would use it when the Lord's, Lord asks us to speak, we'd be better off. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is, is itself set on fire by hell. Verse 24, so she went out, Herodias, and said to her mother, And the way this passage reads is she's not even thinking of asking for this. What shall I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. Immediately, she came in with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. This shows the the mother had, these are the plans she'd had all along. The girl seems, once again, to have no animosity towards John the Baptist, but she's yielding to her mother's uh, opinion of him. It's amazing how far people will let their revenge. The Bible says vengeance is the Lord, but she's so consumed that she's been found out and she wants John the Baptist gone, and she does this. John was telling Herod to repent. And if Herod would repent, the times of refreshing refreshing would come to him and Herodias also. But he had an eye for the world and the things of the world. The only reason a man or a woman will not repent of their sins, if God is drawing, they're still wanting to hold on to something of this world. And that's Herod's problem right here. Verse 26 says, And the king was exceedingly sorry, yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him. I believe if he had made an oath by himself, he would have never gone along with this. 
but his boys was around him, and the people that looked up to him was around him. They heard him when he said this, so he had to go through with it. He did not want to refuse her. How many have we known the Christian family, when the husband and wife are intact, The Bible speaks of this all the way from Genesis to Revelation. God has made the man the head. He's no no greater value than the woman. God does not see him as a more valuable person than the woman. But this is the order God says the family should be. Men should lead their families. Even in this culture, even in our, the days and age that we live in, for a man who does not even know Jesus Christ, the families are falling apart because man will not lead his family. And this is what Herod Antipas is doing. He's being controlled. He's being ruled by his wife. It's okay. You should listen to your wife. And if, if she's saying, I think we should do it this way instead of the way you're thinking, then you pray on it and you come together and you make those decisions. But a wife, a woman should not be the leader of a family when the man is in the home. Herod is weak at this. Reminds me of Jezebel and Ahab. I like what, I don't think Spurgeon said this. Uh, Another guy said this. How many men have we known whose heads have been broken with their own rib? A lot of them. So that's Herod's problem. He won't take leadership role, and he's doing what his wife wants him to do, and he's going in the wrong direction. Romans 2, verse 1 through 8, because we should all examine ourselves and make sure there's nothing in our life that's holding us back, keeping us back, whether it's a person, whether it's a thing, from following the Lord. And Herod is doing this once again. I love Romans. I'm going to read it all, chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. It says, Therefore, You are an inexcusable, old man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the truth, that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, old man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering. That's what John the Baptist was giving Herod Antipas when he was saying, no, you shouldn't do this. That's what he was giving him. Not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent or unrepentant heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those 
who by patience, continuance, and doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. When you are walking contrary to the ways of the Lord, living in a deliberate sin, and you think, I'm getting away with it. It's okay. God hasn't did anything about it. That's not true. He goes on to say, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? God has given you grace. God has given you grace to change the, the way you're going, repent of your sins, and turn to him. He's wanting us to repent. Because if we don't, Romans tells us, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. It's not God's will. I said this Sunday that anyone should perish, but all come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So he says in verse 27, immediately, so he didn't think too long about it. Mark is a fast gospel, so he He's moving quickly. Immediately, the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought, and he went and beheaded him in prison. Verse 28, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. I wonder how long did that head, how long did they keep that head? I wonder, did they just keep it as a trophy? I don't know. When his disciples heard of it, They came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things. Remember, they were out. Jesus had sent them out two by two. And this was a two or three months expedition they had been on. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest for a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. They go to this area of Bethsaida. They say, of course, I've never been there. They say it's a lush place where you could just relax and take it easy. Luke 10, 17, when he speaks of this, he says, they come to him and says, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus didn't say much of that about that. Except he says, don't be amazed that this has happened, but be amazed that your name is written in the book of life. But here he just gets them away. I like what this one writer says. He says, someone said, if we don't go apart for a while, we'll just go apart. It's good to get along with the Lord. It's good to take a break from working and spend time in the word or doing other things. You shouldn't work all the time. You need a a time of relaxation. Verse 33, but the multitude saw them departing. I want you to understand all this is going around. All this is happening around the sea of Galilee. They'd go from one side to the other side, to this city, to that city, but they're going around the sea of Galilee. And these people, when they want to find him, they're running around the sea to find out where he is. It's a tremendous scene here. But the multitude saw them departing, 
and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion. I told you that's bowels of mercy. He would have that feeling of just, I want to help, to be moved as the one inward bowels for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. First Peter says this, chapter 5, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fades not away. Jesus is our sheep shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. He had just told the disciples to come away and take a break. But the master teacher and the master servant, the ox, he's still working. He began to teach them many things. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. That would be me. I'll just admit, I would have said that. I would probably have been the first one who told the Lord that. Hey, I'm tired. I'm ready to go home. Aren't you tired too? Let's go home. Take it easy. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? Once again, imagine this crowd, thousand, ten thousands of people running after Jesus. We see these huge, large crowds. Jesus does not see that. He sees individuals and what they need in their lives and how he could enhance their life, first and foremost, with eternal life, but even helping them now. And they say, depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. That's what James says. James says you shouldn't do that. The disciples were looking for any reason to get rid of this crowd. And I think their reason was, we can call it selfishness. That's what they wanted. I want to keep Jesus all to myself. Are we like that? Do we share Christ with people? Or do we say, hey, I'm saved. Hey, I wish you the best. Jesus doesn't do that. In four of the gospel, this account with Philip's, he puts it in here. We find Jesus asked Philip, where could we find enough bread to feed anyone? Because he was testing Philip. I want you to know in our crisis of life, no matter what comes our way, I want you to know and understand and really understand that Jesus is there. And he's there for our benefit. He's there for to help us. He's our chief shepherd. We never go through anything in this life alone. If we know Jesus Christ is our personal Lord and Savior, he is there and he feels our pain, but he can do something about it. But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. 
and the two fish he divided among them all. I like the chosen when they show this scene. I like how they portrayed it. As long as he would reach his hand in the basket, the fish would be there. I've heard many people tell a story of some team, I forget the team, they were on a mission trip, and they said it was only Cokes they had ran out of. And the guy tells me the cans of Coke just continued to come, and they could give every one of those little African children a can of Coke. I'm not surprised because God works like that. Psalms 35, 7, it says, David speaking, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. No matter what, if our hand is with the Lord, if he's our master, he's going to feed us. He's going to give us what we need. That's what Philippians 4.19 says, but my God shall supply all your need. And Jesus gives me much more than I need, according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. It says, the Lord looked up to heaven, the source of his daily bread, and he breaks and he gives thanks, and I don't do that enough, and he begins to feed them. Psalm 68, 19 says, blessed be the Lord who daily loads us down with benefits. Do you believe that? We can be so spoiled that when the benefits come, oh, it's just an everyday thing. It's not much. Give me something greater. Give me something more. But the Bible says every day we are loaded down with benefits. That's the God of our salvation. Jesus is the source. And the disciples, they're only the distributors. They're looking for Jesus to provide for the people. And they are part in the ministry because they distribute it. Verse 42, it says, so they ate and were filled and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fish. Now, those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. Immediately, which is Mark's one of his favorite words, he made his disciples get into the boat. He compelled them. He drove them to get in the boat. It was as if they didn't want to leave him, but he makes them get into the boat and go before him to the, notice what it says, the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now, when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, way out into the sea, And he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining or toiling, rowing the boat. He's testing their mettle. If they're going to give up, if they're going to give out, and they're just fighting the waves and all of this, God is testing. For the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch, that's 3 to 6 a.m. of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And it says, and would have passed them by. And this does not mean he was going to pass them by, but he was going to pass on the other side beside them. And it's in the sense of a theophany or a Christophany. They're thinking something else. They're thinking they're seeing a a phantom or a ghost. And I bring this verse, Exodus 33, 19 and 22, because they really don't know the master yet. They really have not put their complete trust in the master yet. 
So he's still training. He's still learning. They're still learning. Exodus says this, then he said, I will make all my goodness, speaking to Moses, when he says, Lord, show me your glory, pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord. I will proclaim the name of Yahweh, that's what he says, before you. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, a picture of Jesus Christ, and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Because Moses is wanting to know God intimately. He's wanting to know his name. No one else knows his name. God told Moses his name. The high priest, they said, was the only one who knew his name, and they would write it down once a year, the Day of Atonement. And then they stopped doing that. And now, you know, they take all the vowels out, and they get... Y-W, what's the acronym for it? Y-H-V-H, Y-W-V-H, because the vowels are out. And that's why they say Jehovah 10 years before this, or maybe even 20 years after Jehovah, they say Yahweh is the complete. But nobody knows really what his name is, but Moses. I have to ask him when I get there. Moses did. And, And how did Moses know Yahweh's name? He asked. Somebody should have asked him what was his name before this, but he asked and he told him. Verse 50 says, for they all saw him, the hallucination they thought, they thought it was a phantom and were troubled. It says, but immediately he talked with them and said to them, be of good cheer. It is I, do not be afraid. Immediately he calmed the disciples' fears and he spoke words of reassurance, and he does that. Jesus does that all the time. When he opens his mouth, words of assurance flows out to us. Even when he's rebuking us, he knows how to rebuke us in love if we would only take advantage of that. That's the way he comes at us. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. Can you imagine a sea turning like a glass of ice the way it is on God's throne? Just a glass of ice. That was why they gasped, and that's why they, they had never seen this before, the sea be like this. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed, and that's why they were greatly amazed how still the waters were in themselves beyond measure and marveled. For the reason why they had not understood about the loaves. Jesus is always teaching. You don't have to worry about it. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to feed you. I'm married to you. You're in covenant relationship with me. You might not get everything you want, but God has promised he would give us everything that we need. And that's what he does right here. And we need to understand and recognize that. And they could not understand it yet. And Jesus goes right to the heart of why they could not understand it. He says, it's because the hardness of your heart. That's unbelief. They haven't given their lives totally to the Messiah yet. They're still learning. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. And when they had came out of the boat immediately again, people recognized him ran through that whole surrounding region and began to carry about on beds those who were sick 
to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he entered into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces. I want you to see as I'm reading this what Jesus is doing, why the people are following him. And it's all right with Jesus right now. They're following him because they want to be fed. They're following him because they want a healing. They want a miraculous sign. Jesus has not just been going around healing people. Every time he would heal, he would tell them why he's healing, and he would give them the offer of salvation. That's what they need more than anything. But these crowds are following him because of the miraculous signs he is doing. Not one of them will ask him about heaven and how to get there. They're all worried about the here and the now. And I'm sure he has a broken heart because of this. He entered into villages. The word has gone out. Words of renown has gone out about this itinerant rabbi, how he's healing, how he's cleansing lepers, how he's making the lame to walk. I can't find it anywhere in the gospel that they're bragging on this man can lead us to heaven. And that's why he says in John, he finally turns around and says, why are you guys following me? Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And what did they say? Oh, this is a hard saying. We cannot handle this. And many, the Bible says, turned away because Jesus has come to give humanity eternal life and a home in heaven. That's the main reason he was healing, casting out demons, doing all of those things so they could understand that he's greater than the uh, demons and Satan and all these things, and he holds the key to heaven. They laid the sick in the marketplaces, the open spaces, and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. If we don't follow Jesus for the right reason, and the right reason is salvation. I'm sure that's the reason why you guys gave your life to him. Yeah, he gives icing on the cake. I say that often because that's what he does. But the main reason he came is to give salvation. And I said this Sunday, and I'll say it now, you're on shaky ground if you give your life to Jesus for the things he can give you on earth because he can take those things away in a heartbeat. And if that's the reason you gave your life to the Lord, you might walk away then. It should be because that's the only reason he, he came to give us eternal life. That's why we serve him. That's why we follow him. And he's so good he still makes us have a better life on this earth. So make sure you're following him for that reason. He'll never take that away from you. Gifts and other things he might take away, but eternal life is everlasting life. Let's pray. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm just amazed that of all the miracles you do, 
you tell the multitudes why. And sooner or later, you will tell them to repent and believe. And here, the multitude is following you. And not one, it's not recorded, not one in the Bible says, I'm following you because I want you to give me eternal life. I know that there's something else when I give up the ghost on earth. I understand why you were a man uh, of sorrow because it probably broke your heart when they were coming to you for healings, for miracles, and for all those other things. And you being gracious many of times would bless them, but you were only giving them the icing when you wanted to give them the cake, which is eternal life. Lord, may we run hard after you for eternal life. All of the other things you bless us with, thank you for being a gracious God. But we have what we need, and that's eternal life through Jesus Christ. And may we serve you because you've given us the greatest gift that could ever be given, Lord. Lord, I continue to pray for our church. I pray for those that are hurting. I'm, I'm thankful that Larry is back with Vicki. I'm thankful that you brought them through. Lord, I, I just continue to pray. I pray for Bob Bowman. I pray for Sue, Lord. I pray that you would just work miracles in their lives. Touch Erica. Heal her, Lord, because you have the power to do it. I just thank you for being a gracious God. I pray for all those sons and daughters that don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Lord, would you move? You said it's not your will that anyone should perish. Lord, so would you touch their lives? No one can come to you except you draw. Lord, would you continue to draw those loved ones, those friends to your eternal kingdom? And we'll be sure to give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our soon and coming King. It's in his name we pray, amen.